seated. Praise God. Glory to God. I want to ask you very quickly, if you would, to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation 22. And we're going to open with some verses today that will bring to bear what he wants to accomplish in this particular gathering. So I'm releasing my faith for the utterance. I can sense the anointing on me now and the anointing on the ears to hear. And I heard the Spirit of God just say something to me just now when I said that. He said, there's a number of people who ear, whose ears are tingling. I believe that manifestation is actually going to start happening in the room. If it hadn't already, something super, you're going to be like, what's that? And, and it is an anointing coming on your ears. You know, Satan never does anything that he created. So if in the last days they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, then it means there's a drawing of people whose ears are bent toward a voice. And it's impossible for the enemy to have more attraction than the resurrected Lord of glory. I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart, Spirit of God just said to me, people need to get ready. Don't think it's strange. There's going to be a supernatural, tangible, physical manifestation. And many of you are going to experience it when we get under the anointing and your ears are just going to start to tingle. Heaven is opening the ears. I believe that with all my heart. And Father, we thank you for it. So we thank you for utterance, Father, and the word of the living God will not return void in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I want to get situated here because if you saw and understood and really had any idea what the Spirit of God had been saying to me, you'd realize that in these few minutes we've got to do as expeditiously as we can and accurately as we can what He wants for this gathering. Because even though there's the consummate will of God for all people and His plan for the planet, there are also things that happen in the life of each individual. Let me just say it this way, that in our lives, we recognize that even even the great psalmist David, prophet, priest, and king said, teach me to number my days that I might apply my heart to wisdom. So we understand that an anointing can come upon us to cause to accomplish something great. But I want you to hear what I'm going to say. <clears throat> it's a twofold supernatural work. And what I mean by that is God visited him by a vision and guaranteed him that throughout eternity he would have seed on the throne. Well, Jesus was called the son of David. That's why in the last days God said he's going to raise up the tabernacle of David. And that the authority to bind and loose and open and shut and that great name is the key of the house of David. I mean, we could go down the line, but we need to understand something. That David had a twofold aspect to his assignment. And I'm convinced of this one thing for sure. That if the first one doesn't get accomplished, the second one never will be.
Well, what in the world do you mean by that, Brother Tracy? I mean, David had an assignment while he was in his body. That was to create or actually establish something or accomplish something that would last for thousands of years after he left his body. Let me try that over here. You see, he was part of the picture of the thread of something God was doing far beyond his mortal life. Too many people have never embraced the fact that they might actually do something while they're in their body that would still speak after their physical bones are long under, under the ground. And I'm totally convinced that if we do not have that picture, we will not accomplish the first assignment, which is to do what you need to do while you're in your body. Because if you don't do what you're supposed to do while you're in the body, you can forget it having an effect eternally when you leave your body. So it might be said, how you handle the seed determines everything about the harvest of your life, both in this life and the life to come. So King David then had an assignment, and the scripture says he was faithful in his generation. He said, this is a man after my own heart who will fulfill all my will. So there are things to accomplish, and uh, because we have been privileged to live in this hour of human history, then more than ever before, we're going to have to make quality decision to get about accomplishing it. And so the Lord wants me to talk to you about some of these things because there's always a little bit difference in every audience that I address, whether it's online or here or internationally or in churches or wherever I may be speaking. Uh, it never comes out quite the same way because there's something to accomplish in this gathering and you want to get it done. But the objective is to accomplish something in this gathering. It has the further manifestation that when you walk out these doors, there's fruit that remains that changes lives, maybe even nations, shapes a generation far beyond it. Therein lies that saying, one word from God can change your life forever. Amen. So you'll probably hear me preach this. You know, I've heard, and I'm going to talk about him briefly in this message in the next few minutes, uh, him and among other fathers in the faith, but um, Kenneth Hagin Sr., you know, one of the amazing things about those visitations he had from the Lord Jesus, three of the eight visitations, Jesus talked to him personally with his eyes wide open for over an hour and a half. Now, that may not be normal relationship for most people in their walk with God. But the whole idea behind that is that God never has changed the way He operates. How does He operate? And I'm going to try to help you understand. The Apostle Paul was called up to the third heaven. How many of you would agree with that? And what did he say about that experience? He said, the dispensation of grace that was given to me to you were. How that he made me to know. Right? He made me to know. That's Ephesians 3. 
whereby when you read what I wrote in a few words, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery. It was never for the Apostle Paul to have such a fantastic great ministry that, yes, he had his portion. I happen to believe he was Judas's replacement and is one of the apostles of the Lamb. Maybe so, maybe not. We'll find out when I get up there and look at the names on those 12 stones in the holy city. But one thing's for sure, God used him as a foundational apostle because he said himself he was called to lay a foundation. But he made it clear when he wrote to the entire church at Ephesus. In fact, let's look at this, Ephesians 1. He made this abundantly clear if you have ears to hear it. Say this right now, I have ears to hear. hear. All right, let's look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to read three verses. Are you ready? Praise the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, look now, to the saints. Now I want you to get real clear that, I mean, I'm thinking you'll follow this and catch on with this. I believe you will. But this is a spiritual book. And we have to have some understanding about the laws that govern supernatural transference between heaven and earth. It's a law of contact and transmission. That's why we lay hands on people. Spiritual forces are released. And here he is saying that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints. So God has something in his will for every person in that church that he wants to get to them. And so to get that to them, he downloaded something on Paul, which was a someone they could see, feel, communicate, and articulate the will of God in a flesh and blood body. How do you think Jesus did it? Why do you think his ministry was so special? Because the word became flesh. He touched people. They touched his clothes. He spoke words that released forces that drove out demons, cleansed lepers, and he never touched them. This is why the spirit of Antichrist says very clearly, Antichrist. Notice it's not, we know it's anti-Jesus. Come on now. We know that the devil is anti-Jesus. We know that. But why hadn't he called anti-Jesus? Because Jesus was a common name. There were other Jesuses walking around in his day. But he was Jesus, the Christ. Now, the Christ is not his last name. And it is a title, but it's much more than a title. It is a word filled with revelation to who he was. He got that word attached to him because it was the anointing. And who is the anointing? We'll look at it in a minute. The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit came upon him without measure. Oh my goodness. So Jesus didn't heal people because he was Jesus. And this is a great, great thing that people need to get deep revelation of. 
that he didn't do any miracles at 20 or 25 or 28. But yet he was the virgin-born son of God. So in that sense, he was born of God. So just because a person gets born again, that doesn't automatically put you in the miracle flow. That means you're not going to hell. Okay, let me try that over here. See, he was born, he was born of God. But to accomplish any person's destiny in the planet, <clears throat> it takes more than being born again. And Jesus proved it because he was our example. He told John the Baptist, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And he went down in there, and when he came out of that water, the heavens opened. And something came on him that from that day forward launched him into the miracle ministry. Demons screamed and left. Blind eyes opened. Deaf ears opened. The maimed grew body parts back. Lives changed forever. Water turned into wine and fish and bread got multiplied. The laws of nature yielded to him as he walked on water. And they got translated. Hello? Yes, sir. Are you here? Yes, sir. That means all of that happened in Jesus' ministry because he was filled with the Holy Ghost. I want you to get very, very clear that Jesus, the Holy Ghost did not follow Jesus around in ministry. Jesus followed him. He said, I do what I hear my father say. I do what I see my father do. Spirit of seeing and knowing. Who is that spirit? The Holy Spirit. Now, that's the first thing he said about his ministry in the first message he ever preached. And we'll get to that in a minute. But what I want to point out to you is here, then his miracle ministry was because he was the Christ. I'm just trying to massage your brain a little bit here. There's a reason that people, oh, I mean, you can say Muhammad, oh, Muhammad. And people, well, I mean, I don't know. We've, we've seen riots in Pakistan and other places because somebody painted a cartoon about Muhammad riding a rocket. And they said, we're peaceful. So they started to blow up all the American establishments and burn tires and shut the city down to prove their peaceful religion. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> But basically, basically, you know, in our, like in our schools, when you pray, when, when a person prays, but you can't use that name, that name of Jesus. So we know that the spirit of Antichrist will not say that Jesus came in the flesh. It's the point I want to make. This is how you know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Right? Because he does not want to admit that he was whipped by an anointed man. And that man who was anointed, that dominated the devil and broke the curse off of the lives of all other men for all time, then took that name and that anointing and transferred it to the church. See, most people don't know what they got when they got baptized of the Holy Ghost. They think that they got some strange language that they use when they get in trouble. (laughs) 
they have no idea that when they, you and I, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive nothing less than the miracle mantle of the ministry of the Lord Jesus himself. Now, that's what launched Oral Roberts in his entire ministry. He fasted and prayed and was dealing with a religious tradition, but he knew there was more, and he sought God, and he had been healed as a youngster, so he knew he could be healed. But here he's a young preacher, he learned seed faith, learned a lot of things, pastoring. But when he said, I'm going to fast, Evelyn, don't cook me any food. I'm not coming out until I hear from God. And he, he got there alone with God, and suddenly his eyes were opened, and he saw a vision. And in that vision, there was a river. And that river flowed out of heaven, and it flowed down in front of his eyes. And as far as you could see, it was people of all races, all different dress types, short, small sizes, languages, nationalities, kindred and blood. And he began to hear their moans and their cries and their... And as this river of people, this tide of humanity being swept to destruction flowed in front of him, the Lord said to him, Son, everyone on earth, Every human on the earth is sick in some way. And I want you to take my healing power to your generation. He said, Lord, I can't go to my generation with a secondhand revelation. How am I going to help my generation unless you help me, unless you touch me, unless you speak to me? And the Lord said, to him, he said, are you filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He said, yes, Lord. And the Lord said, do you know what you've got? Let me try that over here. <clears throat> are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes, Lord, I am, he said. Do you know what you've got? And Brother Oral had, had the honesty to reply to God, well, no, Lord, I guess I don't. He said, you have the same mighty resurrected spirit that filled all the apostles in the book of Acts. When, when I begin to get revelation of this, it's why I said recently in our prayer time and so forth that the book of Acts is a little bit of a misnomer in that it says the Acts of the Apostles. Well, they did the Acts all right. But, what it should, but it gives the idea that only apostles could do it. And therefore, you have dispensational theology and, you know, miracles have passed away and they did it just to start the church. And, you know, you would think that it, they evidently didn't know it because if the whole world knew it, then when the last apostle died, no telling how long that line would have been outside his house to get in to see him before miracles stopped. I mean, come on. God would have to cease to be God for miracles to stop. He's the source and he can't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's foolish to believe such things, but we get trapped down into these limits and those suppressive spirits that I addressed earlier keep us in a form of godliness and no power. And we need to understand that when I first heard this, I realized in my heart, I can't see the Acts of the Apostles without thinking this way, that I, I wish it were named the Acts of the Holy Ghost through the Apostles. Because if I have the same Holy Spirit, 
then these acts weren't relegated to an apostolic call. Did you hear what I said? Now, I love this because I want to show you a verse here and, uh, and we'll cut to the chase with Ephesians 3 and I'll expedite where we're headed. But go with me to Ephesians, go, excuse me, to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Hallelujah. Now, I know I'm in teaching mode and I'm going to back up and teach, but, you know, I feel the preach could be coming on here. Glory to God. Amen. Now, I want you to look at this. This is how God did it. If you're going to, if you and I are going to function under any level of the anointing, you need to pay close attention to this verse because this is the how God does it. Let me try it over here. You need to really pay attention to what this verse says because the Bible tells you how God does it. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God. And here's how he did it. If I had time, I would back all the way up to verse 34 where Peter had the Holy Ghost fall while he's preaching. And maybe I, maybe, maybe I should because this is Peter preaching at Cornelius who had an angel appear to him to send for him and the whole house of Gentiles and a Roman centurion is sitting there waiting, which I happen to believe is the same centurion that built the synagogue for the Jews out of his own pocket. And so when the angel said, when the angel said, your alms, your prayers and your alms have come up before God as a memorial, well, that's why the angel was able to come through the portal and visit this man and save his whole household and open the Gentile world because of his seed offerings. He wasn't born again. He was outside the covenant. He was a Roman centurion, a, a, a military soldier of Rome an Italian of the Italian band. And yet he, out of his own pocket, paid for and erected a synagogue for the Jewish nation. Now, whether it's him or not, it very well could be the same centurion where Jesus spoke the word only. Now, now follow me here because I'm, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get to something, but I can see something that so few people know because they don't know the Bible well enough to synchronize it. But you've got to remember that the centurion never saw Jesus. You say, what? No. It said he came and felt, no, no, that's not what the Scripture says. The Gospels tell us that the first thing he did was send elders. And they went out there to entreat him to come to my house, and Jesus is on the way, Right? Then he sent another messenger and said, you know what? No, you don't have to follow these guys back to my house. That's not necessary. I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, do this, and he does it. Right? Yes, sir. And come, and he comes. He said, speak the word only. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, I haven't found this kind of faith in all. Huh? Now, if you read it, if you read it, you'll see in Luke, I believe it's Luke chapter 7 of the account, it says that the elders came to Jesus and said to him, they're pleading his case. They said to him, he's lying at the point of death. Would you come heal his servant, which is like a son to him? And he's worthy that you should do this for him. He hath built a synagogue for our nation. And so Jesus said, okay, based upon that offering, based upon his love for God's people, 
Jesus turns and is going with them. Before he can get to the house, he sends somebody else out and says it's not necessary. As far as we can know and tell, now I'm not saying they didn't cross paths. He certainly knew who Jesus was. But as far as we can tell, during his earthly life, this centurion never saw Jesus face to face. Maybe he did. But we know he didn't have this encounter with him face to face as you read the story. Now I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm connect some dots for you. But he did say, speak the word only. Yes, sir. That's true. Now, isn't that what he said? Yes, sir. That centurion, did he not say, speak the word only? Yes, sir. Now, what did the angel say to Cornelius when the angel appeared to Cornelius? Anybody know? The angel said, I've come as your alms and your prayers have come up as a memorial. I have come in answer to your prayer. Well, if he followed Jesus' ministry, you know good and well he followed the ministry and what was going on in Jerusalem and all the miracles after that. So he's crying out, people are being saved, people are being born again. They're saying Jesus is alive. Yes, sir. And so he's crying out to God, what must I do to be saved? You can hear it, you can see it. And God's doing a double miracle here because he's taking Peter in this moment by the Holy Ghost through an angelic visitation and the falling of the Spirit. He's taking him from a national ministry to an international ministry overnight. Because for whatever reason, Peter can't get the religion out of him to take the step. Are you hearing me? Ten years after Jesus said go to the whole world and he was filled with the Holy Ghost, he was still preaching to the Jews. And it took a divine, God could have sent for James or John, any, any, of, any of them could have given them the, the, the story about salvation. Any of them could have led them to the Lord. But the angel specifically said call for Peter because this was as much a miracle for Peter as it was for Cornelius. I mean, it blew Peter's whole ministry up because he has a vision on a housetop. And in an open vision, he sees clean and unclean animals and, he's in a, and he falls into a trance. He was hungry. He wasn't specifically fasting, but he falls into a trance, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. This is my point. All of these things are not natural manifestations. Angels, visions, trances, Holy Ghost leading. Yes, sir. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you here? This is so huge because now he falls into a trance he sees something come out of heaven. It has clean and unclean animals. He says, arise, Peter, slay and eat. Three different times this happens because in him is such a resistance, such a, a traditional wall against what the, the largest of what God called him to do that he kept saying, no, I can't do that. I, I've never, my lips have never touched anything unclean. And he had to command him, stop calling common what I have cleansed. And I would say to you today, if there's any one thing we got to get to today before we leave this morning, is we're going to have to stop treating these miracles common like they're happening everywhere. Because they are not. And the move of the Spirit is not happening everywhere. And we have a church that is so locked down, shut down, terrified, in fear, running from pestilences and plagues when they ought to be standing up and roaring like the lion of the tribe of Judah. But they do not know what they have. And it is time for you to fall into a trance, do a little fasting, and God visit you with a vision and blow your world up. Yes. Amen. 
It's time for you to get out of your national thinking to the worldwide launch of what's on your life. What I mean by that is not everyone's supposed to go ring, run around the world and preach crusades, but you're a part of this end-time world events. And you have a supernatural role to play, and it's not going to get done unless you fully do your part. Are you listening to me? All right, now, so Peter leaves, and then the Spirit speaks to him. Behold, three men seek thee, and bang, 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 the knock comes on the door, and he says to them, because the angels told Cornelius where he was, and he sent three men, right? And, and by the time the, the vision ends, Peter comes to himself, and he's still on the rooftop, and bing, 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 they're knocking on the door. And the Holy Ghost says, three men seek thee. Go with them, nothing doubting. Just whatever they ask you, go. And they asked him to come. Nothing, uncom nothing common, nothing unclean. I, no, I don't touch anything that's not God's, God's uh, the, you know, the seed of Abraham. Uh-uh. And the Spirit of God had to tell him, because they're going to ask him to do something that he hadn't been able to break for 10 years. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because they're about to ask him to come inside the house. Probably of the same centurion that Jesus didn't see face to face the first time. And what did the angel say to Cornelius? The angel said, call for one's, he talk, you know, he's called him Simon, he's dwelling at Simon the Tanner's house. He will come, now listen to what it says, he will come, now this had special meaning to Cornelius, and you'll understand why now. He will come and tell thee words. I believe this is uh, Acts 11 when Peter's recounting the story. He tells what the angel said to him, and I want to say, look at verse 14. Let's see if that's it. I don't know if I've got the right reference, but if I do, it's somewhere in there. Is that it? Notice what it says. What the angel told Cornelius. Back up one verse. He showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Look what it says. Who shall tell thee words? Now do you see why that angel so specifically said that? Because this is the man during Jesus' ministry that said, speak the word only. It's not necessary for you to come under my roof. And now Jesus is saying to him through an angel, I'm about to send a man under your roof with words. And the words he's bringing, you and your whole house are going to be saved. Glory be to God. Do you get this? You see what's happening here? Whoo! Now let's back up and let's see. I just, since we're supposed to, since we're so far into the story, let's see what else it says. Peter gets there, and we're going back up into Acts 10 now again. Peter gets there, and in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, notice what Peter said. You see, if you're going to get a new position, you're going to have to have a new perception. Do you understand? You'll never allow yourself or give yourself permission to take a seat you don't believe belongs to you, to receive something you don't think it's time for yet, 
to believe for something you don't know is the will of God. You have to have authored from heaven, born of the Spirit, a revelation. This is God talking to you and I'm telling you to do it and I'll be with you and I'll empower you and I'll authorize you and you won't have to go alone. And we see that with every leader that was ever doing something great. Moses, when the angel appeared in the bush, I mean, he had to have a whole conversation because I, I stutter. It's the most amazing thing. Finally, God relents and says, you know what? Fine. All right, you keep being obstinate. You keep saying you can't when I told you to do it and I've empowered you. I've appeared to you in a bush. But you say, I, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. Huh? Fine, I'll send Aaron with you and he'll be your mouthpiece. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Now Moses has 40 years of ministry. Read it again and see how much Aaron got to talk. I'm going to send Aaron as your mouthpiece. He only did that to get Moses bumped off a center. He never intended Aaron to talk for him. But I'm shy. I'm not a preacher. You just don't understand. Yo, I understand. I understand you're self-possessed, but God's going to bump you off center. <laughs> Glory be to God. I'm telling you, he needs, the world deserves a fearless church. Amen? And notice Peter opened his mouth when he got to Cornelius' house. What's the first thing he said? He starts preaching. First thing he said, of a truth, I perceive. After 10 years in the ministry, a revelation blew apart the limits of what he was going to allow himself to accomplish. And of a truth, I perceive, Peter said, that God is no respecter of persons. Now that one statement meant that what he's about to do and what God's about to do through him as an apostle comes on everyone in the house. So it means that God didn't just give Peter a special visitation, a special spirit they wouldn't have, a special something no one else could get. Have you been baptized in the Holy Ghost? Do you have any clue what you've got? Glory to God. Now notice what it says now. See the colon there? Look at verse 35. But in every nation. How many nations? He or she that fears God and works righteousness is what? Say right now, I am accepted in Him. That means you have already been positioned to experience what the house of Cornelius is about to experience. Glory be to God. In Him, your house can have the same thing we're about to read. This experience should come on every house and every nation that fears God. The Holy Ghost ought to fall in that house. On them, on their children, on their children's children. It's about time the Holy Ghost fall in your house instead of a bunch of angry words or doubt-filled talk. Come up Christmas time. Well, honey, you know we can't afford that. I mean, this, I'm getting all stressed out now. I'm stretched as far as I can go. I don't. Oh, really? How about you let the Holy Ghost fall in your house for a change? How about you let the limits get blown out? How about you let the covenant actually work for you? Glory be to God. Oh, glory be to God. 
Oh, glory be to God. Now, we might as well, we're there now. We, we only got to about three more verses, so let's just read it on down. Look at verse 36. The word which God sent. Glory to God. He said he'll come and tell you words. The word which God sent. God sent this word to Cornelius' house. Woo, God sent a word. Who's the word that God sent? He's about to say Jesus is the word God sent. See, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God sent the word, and it took on a form of fleshly humanity. And the word which God sent unto the children of Israel. Glory to God. He came preaching peace. That's shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness can be achieved. I've broken the curse, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word that God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus, the anointed one, he's Lord of all. That word I say, you know. So he's telling all these Gentiles, they've already heard this. But now that word is sent to Cornelius' house. Now what you've heard about is coming to your house. Oh, glory be to God. Oh, glory be to God. That word I say you know which was published throughout all Judea began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God, say this is how he did it. Oh, this is how he did it. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with, with what? How did God anoint Jesus? With the Holy Ghost. Now look. How God anointed who? Jesus. With what? When did the Holy Ghost come upon him? How old was he? 30 years old. Came out of that river. That's when the Holy Ghost came on him. Would you agree? I'm, I'm about to blow your religious mind right smooth out of the water. You think Jesus was anointed with this anointing because he was Jesus. And at Christmas time is a good time to talk about it. He was destined to be king. He was sent to be king of the world. Savior of the world. But the Garden of Gethsemane, if it proves anything, it proves he had a choice. So did John the Baptist when he walked up to that. Because that, John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to touch your shoes. And he said, allow it to be so. Submit yourself for righteousness sake. Do what I'm asking you to do. Which that moment Jesus told him to do, the worthy one told John to do something John was unworthy to do. Which made him worthy to do it because the worthy one told him to do it. Now that's what you need to understand. You're going to carry something you're unworthy to carry. You're going to handle a power you're unworthy to handle. You've got a spirit living inside of you you're not holy enough to house. But seeing as the righteous one called you righteous and the holy one called you set apart and holy, seeing as how the worthy one said you're accepted and worthy, that makes you everything he said because he sent a word into this house. Now he sent a word to your house. Taught this house. And I'm going to let the Holy Ghost fall in this house. Y'all not getting this yet, but you will. Because your house, I'm talking about this stinking flesh, this house will look, act, talk, walk differently 
when the Holy Ghost falls in it. And it'll actually get saved. Instead of coming and going from church and acting like a heathen and begging God for repentance on Sunday morning. Holy Ghost got to fall in your house. I said the Holy Ghost got to fall in your house. I said the Holy Ghost is going to have to fall in your house. I think the biggest thing that keeps people from allowing the Holy Spirit to fall in their house is because they see themselves so unworthy. They're so conscious of their flesh, the natural, the mistakes they've made, what they've done, and no real revelation that they're the righteous of God in Christ washed in the blood, sanctified, set apart, and been filled with the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Are you baptized in the Holy Ghost? Do you have a clue what you've got? Oh, glory be to God. How God anointed. This is how he did it. With the Holy Ghost. Now that indicates there was an anointing, say an anointing, that came on Jesus that Jesus did not have before that moment. Oh, come on now. You're going to have to blow out, you're going to have to blow all your religion out of the water. I know he was sinless. I know he's the son of God. I know he's virgin born. I get it. But you need to understand that Jesus is the pattern. As the pattern man, he had to have both to walk in the fullness. He had to be born of the Spirit, which he was with Mary. Then he had to be filled with the Spirit. And every one of the apostles had to be the same. In John chapter 20, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. But that wasn't when they got filled with the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit is the agent of salvation. You say, well, how do you know they didn't get filled with the Holy Ghost there? Because Jesus said so. He said, whoever sins you Retained, they're retained. Whoever sins you remit, they're remitted. They were forgiven of their sins at that moment. And that was a work of the Holy Ghost. But they got filled 50 days later. That's when the fire came on them. That's when the glory filled the room. That's when they actually got empowered to turn the world upside down. So you need to understand, you got saved for you. Huh? But the Holy Ghost comes upon you for others. If you really want to do something serious for God, you're not going to do it, you just being you. Jesus is God's gift to the world, but the Holy Spirit is God's gift to the church. Jesus said the world can't see him, they don't even know him. But you not only know him, he dwells with you now, he's going to live inside of you. The spirit that raised me from the dead, the very spirit that raised me from the dead is going to live on the inside of you. Now, when you got baptized in the Holy Ghost, something happened to you. Same thing happened to you that happened to Jesus' body in the earth. Are you not the body of Christ? When you got filled with the Holy Ghost, same thing happened to you that happened to him. An anointing came on you you did not have before that moment. And the anointing breaks the yoke, destroys the yoke and the burden. That's why so many people come and go from church and stay bound their whole lives because they act like all the miracles have passed away. That's not for today. Tongues isn't for today. Tongues is of the devil. Well, you know, it amazes me. If tongues is so much of the devil, then why aren't they speaking in tongues at all the bars where people are knocked down drunk? 
I know people that spent most of their whole life serving the devil and never once did they speak in tongues. Come on now, this is the language of men and angels. It comes from another world. It's the language of the great spirit. There's the spirit that hovered over the planet before any creative act could be done. You need to understand that before the word could be spoken, before the world could come into order, before light could be and land could appear and grass could grow and animals could become animals and birds could become birds, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the chaos. And you need to realize God starts with the hovering of the Spirit of God. It's the same Spirit that overshadowed Mary. And you need to understand if anything from heaven is ever going to be born in your life, it starts with the Holy Spirit overshadowing you. And without that experience... You're going to be really hard-pressed to get any real supernatural creative act ever once in your lifetime. But when you know God's no respect your persons and the river starts flowing and you're the first one in the water, I guarantee you, you can be in a river of miracles, a flow of miracles, a supply of miracles. Your life can be a miracle life. I'm telling you, when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you need to stop looking back and you need to start looking up. You know, realize who you are. Realize what you've got. Lord, help me, help me, help me. I'm, I'm close, I promise. <laughs> but, but you understand this river is coming. In Revelation 22, this river comes out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Glory to God. And this is the river that he visited me about over 20 years ago in that hotel room where my wife was there. And, it, and the glory of God filled the room. And he said, I'm coming to, to, to give you a mandate. I want you to preach no more curse. I said, no more curse. I want you to see no more curse is in verse 3. But he said, he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the Lamb. The trees, their fruit, the impact, the healing, the restoration, all comes out of the river. The river is the source of no more curse. I said, the river is the source of the life of God as he has it and experiences it that he wants to transfer to you. It's the river where the life is. I tell you, the Lord spoke to me this morning so sovereignly and I'm really working my way to it and I'm going to do my best not to elongate this, but it is so so important. I want you to see what happened when this happened. Now let's go back to Acts 10, 38. I'll finish here and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go to what the Spirit of God said for me to lead up to and prepare the foundation for. Notice what it says here in Acts 10, 38, how God, this is how he did it. How he did it. Well, how's he going to anoint you? Same way. So if you're resisting the Holy Spirit, what are you resisting? The anointing. Now, how can you have what the anointing is sent to do for you and you resist it? No wonder the church doesn't have much. Because the very vehicle, how God does it, they're resisting. Thank you for your enthusiasm. That's why Satan is called the Antichrist, not Anti-Jesus. Because Antichrist means against the anointing. So I'm letting you know 
anything in the church. I don't care what church you've been to, and I'm not going to apologize for this. Anything in any church you've ever attended that in any way resisted the moving of the Holy Spirit was not from God. I don't care how many scriptures they used. I don't care how much responsive reading you had. I don't care how many hymns you sung. I don't care how long or short the service was. I don't care how many good people attend there living moral lives. There is nothing that's come across any Christian pulpit ever in history that resisted God's spirit that was anything other than the anti-Christ spirit. So you need to get clear, religion is a seducing spirit. And it is a demon. And you can have your wonderful pipe organ. You can have your parking attendants dressed in a three-piece suit with great welcome badges. You can have the radio ministry spotless. And you can have them there two hours in front of service scrubbing the tire marks off the cones. Because after all, you know, We've got to keep these people coming because they bring cards and letters and we've got to keep the lights on. It's the truth. Now just get honest about it. Now I'm about to tell you what the Spirit of God said to me this morning and uh, actually he said it to me in the wee hours of the morning on Christmas Day and then this morning he said, now you, this is, I thought he was giving it to me for the future. Well he was, this is the future. <laughs> now look what it says here so he says he went about now look how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all so God calls it good when all are healed God's going about healing everybody that's what he said to, that's what he said to Oral Roberts every person in the whole world is sick in some way I want you to take my healing power to your generation. Now notice, all that were oppressed of the devil, that means sickness is the oppression of the devil. It is not to glorify God. It is not a gift from God. It is not something that God gives you to, to prove your patience and stamina and put you under trial so you can win in the end and have some great testimony. All that does happen, but that is not the purpose of it. That's the enemy's doing. He's trying to kill you. And most people don't even believe their way out of sickness. They just get a mercy miracle. Because God loves you so much, he's not going to let the devil take you out early. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because I've talked to too many Christians. Been in church 20 and 30 and 40 years and have almost no faith for the supernatural. So I know when they got a huge diagnosis, they didn't just like snap their fingers and start believing God. But he is so merciful. Because even when we're not covenant keepers, he is. But in this hour of human history, I wouldn't rely on that if I were you. <laughs> no, no, glory to God. But that's another time. Here he says he went about. Now, one more time I want to read it because I want you to see some things in here. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. And healing all. It was oppressed. For the, well, there's three principalities in here. I mean, there's, there, there's three persons. The Trinity's in this verse. How God anointed Jesus 
with the Holy Ghost. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Can you see that? Who went about doing good. That's after a colon. See, everybody's automatic assumption is Jesus is the one that went about doing good. But if Jesus was the one who went about doing good healing all, how come he didn't heal all when he was 28? Oh, come on now. If Jesus is just doing it because he's one special piece of human flesh that is the only one that can do this. Are you hearing me? Then how come he didn't heal everybody when he walked in town when he's 25? Or what about when he was 12? I mean, he was just as much the son of God at 12 when he was answering their questions in the temple. Because he wasn't the one going about doing the healing. He started going about healing after God anointed him. Oh, come on now. With the Holy Ghost and with power. Thus my point, Jesus did not lead the Holy Spirit around in ministry. The Holy Spirit led him. And I'm going to prove it out of Luke 4.18. When Jesus stood up to preach, now understand, I mean, I can feel it right now. Some people are getting a little bit uncomfortable because they think I am bringing Jesus down some. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Holy Ghost is the Spirit of the Lord. Holy Spirit on Him is the Spirit that made Him Lord. We're talking about the Spirit that made Him Lord. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. So the moment we start yielding to the Holy Spirit is when He finally becomes our Lord. Okay, I'll try that over here. The day, I'll know when he's your Lord, when the Holy Ghost starts moving and you're the first one in the river. Because he's your Lord, so you want to follow the Spirit of the Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But as long as we're sitting back on our blessed assurance, waiting and seeing, he's not Lord, he's Savior. He's Santa Claus, you know. Every so often he comes bringing a gift. Or he might even be the local slot machine. You know, you pay your tithe and pull the handle and he's supposed to dish out washing machines that don't break <coughs> so that you won't be cursed. A tithe isn't a tip. He's God the Father, not the Godfather. We don't like, we're not, we're, we're not like the gang running the territory that has the restaurant owner pay us stuff to protect their door, you know, to protect the restaurant, and then we blow the restaurant up if they don't pay up. That's not who God is. Huh? It's an honor. It's a worship. It's an essence of who we are. It's right off the top. It rebukes the devour for our sake. It's the umbilical cord to the covenant of prosperity. It says everything about who we are, that he is the source of everything we have, everything we'll ever be. Glory be to God. And do you want more than 10%, God? Do you need me to build a house for the orphans? Do you need me to be a part of getting that car? Maybe I can sow into that project that that person has been believing for a car. I've been so blessed, Lord. That's what you'd say. I've been so blessed. 
I've been so blessed. Are you listening to me? I've been so blessed. How could I afford to live one more day taking a breath and not be on the generous side of life? Oh, glory to God. Holy Ghost, you'll find us a giver, not a taker. <laughs> oh, glory be to God. Oh, glory be to God. That's why he's called a gift. He's on the, he's, all he knows is giving glory to God. That's all he knows. That's who he is. He is a gift. Praise God. And so the who is really important in Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good? Well, who, did, who went about doing good? Well, the Holy Ghost did. He's the one that anointed him to do it. So the Holy Ghost led him. So the Holy Ghost was moving. Like he was moving over the world. The Holy Spirit was moving. And when Jesus did what he said for him to do, and acted out what he saw the Holy Spirit and showed him to do, a power came. Yes, a power that wasn't on his ministry at 28 years of age. A power that wasn't on his person at 26 years of age. But when he came out of that river, glory be to God, the power of the Holy Spirit to cast out devils, to walk on water, to open blind eyes, to drive demons out of people's lives, to heal the Gadarenean demoniac of 6,000 demons at once and put him in his right mind. Who did that? The Holy Ghost did it. And you have that same spirit living inside of you. So who went about doing good and healing? Well, God did. Who went about doing good and healing? Well, Jesus did. Who went about doing good and healing? Well, the Holy Ghost did. Those are three in one, and they all have the same will. They all have the same mind. They all have the same purpose. But Jesus, the Son, became a man and showed men you can do none of this without the Spirit of God on your life. That's the point. That's the whole point. Is he didn't do his miracles as God. He did them as a man. Anointed with the same spirit that's on your life right now. Can you give the Lord thanks today? Glory to God. Can you give him thanks? Do you see what's happening in the house right now? Can you feel it all over the room right now? Glory to God. Come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The word will stand you up. Yeah, the word will stand you up. Yes, the word will stand you up. Glory to God. Say, there is something working in my life right now. Woo, glory to God. Say, there's something happening. There's something happening. It's in my life right now. Woo, there's something on my life. Something in my life. I'm filled from heaven with something from another world. And it changes my whole life. The way I think. The way I talk. The way I live. The decisions I make. The way I walk. In my life. In my physical body. In my earth suit. My physical being. Where my liver is. My pancreas is. My kidneys are. My stomach is. My intestines are. My lungs are. My heart is. In my mud sack. 
the spirit that created the world lives in here. No way is sickness going to take this mud sack out. I don't need the healer to come to me. He lives in me. Woo! I am the body of Christ. There's never one moment of one day, one second of any experience where the healer isn't immediately accessible living on the inside of me. Come on now. There's miracles working in your house. I said there's miracles working in your house. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And right now it's making eyes to see clear and ears to hear clear and stomachs to process food and livers to, to, to relieve waste and, every, and, and create, do all their function and pancreases to do their function. Glory be to God. It's taking the gall out of your gallbladder. It is the blood of the Lamb that's hitting you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. It's resheathing your nerves. It's restoring your ligaments and tendons. It's adding moisture to your bones. It's healing the marrow of your bones. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. The healer, the deliverer, the forgiver, the Savior, the King of glory is in the house. Within the last 36 hours, I was up here. I don't have to tell all of this, obviously. That's not the point, but I want to make a point because it's so recent. Um, because I've got it dated literally when it came on Christmas morning at 12.20 a.m. and then Christmas morning at 12.50 a.m. right here in the presence of God. Yes, sir. Starting off my Christmas here. Yes, sir. Praise God. <laughs> I found myself after several hours in the presence of God. I prayed in, in, in the spirit. Oh, Until finally, it just flushed up in English. Then I got some understanding. Now, he talked to me about a lot, which I don't have time to get into today. But I heard myself pray out more than anything else. It came out in English. So the Holy Spirit, praying through my spirit, cried this out in a language that I didn't learn, that wasn't articulate. And I cried it out. I, I said, Lord, and I didn't even say Lord. I wrote down what came out of my spirit. More than anything, I heard myself say it in English. I wrote it down later, a few minutes after I kind of came to myself. I want to be in your perfect will. Amen. Yes, sir. Not your permissive will. Yes, sir. I mean, I prayed in the spirit, and all of a sudden it just came out of me. Oh, Lord, more than anything else. I want to be in your perfect will. Yes. Not your permissive will. 
He immediately answered me and said a verse I was familiar with, but you want to talk about eyes to see. He just took that verse and went, whoo. He instantly said these words, Luke eleven thirteen. 13. I mean, the moment he said it, I knew exactly what that verse was. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? And suddenly I saw it. Suddenly I saw it. Suddenly I saw it. His highest will for your life is that you would be completely and utterly immersed in led by, controlled by, completely surrounded by, not considering any other source, leader, voice, avenue, thing, option. His will, His perfect will, is that you be constantly being filled daily, hour by hour, with His great Holy Spirit. Because when you get the Holy Ghost, you get every other gift heaven has. I saw it. He said they're seeking this gift and that gift and that gift. All the while they're resisting the gift. And I'm telling you, he opened up some scripture to me. I, I've got to give this to you because there's a couple of things happening here. I know you're standing. I get it. And uh, we'll get the worst thing up here. I'll do my best not to keep you standing for too long. But I'm telling you, we ought to be standing right now. This is appropriate. It's about time we stood to attention Amen. in the presence of the very spirit that raised our Lord from the dead. It's about time we honored him above everything else in our lives. Immediately following that, he took me through some things I can't rehearse now, but he showed me I've been talking to you about this for 20 years. And he said, I'm about to roll the clock back and bring you everything I promised you in the last 20 years. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. I said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And he showed me this. I saw it. The second verse he gave me just like that was Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, I want to read, and I want you to read with me, verses 16, 17, and 18. Look at it, please. Suddenly I saw it like I'd never seen it before. <clears throat> Ephesians 5, 16, and I want you to see it on the big screen. Redeeming the time. You want his perfect will in this dark time? He's about to tell you how, to, how you live in evil days. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, look now, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Remember what the Holy Ghost prayed out of me? Lord, more than anything else, I want to be in your perfect will, not your permissive will. He said, then don't be unwise. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, and suddenly it opened up. Those are not separate verses. He is not saying in verse 17, don't be unwise now and evil. You need to know what God's will is. And then another instruction coming after that, 
Now, don't be drunk now. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. No, no. He's telling you in verse 18 what His will is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled, and that's a continuous sense, be being filled with the Spirit. Do you want God's perfect will for your life? Then never one more time the rest of your life when the Spirit of God is moving, never one more time do you let your flesh have control. You get your rear end out of that seat and obey God. Because the will of God is for you to be absolutely filled, controlled, overwhelmed, immersed in whatever the Spirit wants, wherever the Spirit is leading, whatever the Spirit is saying, responsive and yielding to whatever the Spirit is doing, and when the anointing is in operation, you respond, and you respond immediately. Suddenly he said this to me. It was just so clear to me. He said it's not geography. It's not buildings or meetings, etc., That will come as a matter of course. My perfect will is not a thing, not an action, not an act. My perfect will is a place in the Spirit. There's a place for you to walk with God's Spirit. That's where His perfect will is for your life. And unless you're walking in the Spirit, you're not in it. You can come and go from church. You can build fancy cathedrals. You can fly airplanes and have big TV ministry. You can have a job and make good investments. But unless you yield to the Holy Ghost, it will all burn. I guarantee you if we will get all in to the Holy Ghost, those buildings will come out of the ground so fast your head will spin around. Because he will give us a building to house the Holy Ghost. But why do you need a bigger building to be dead? The world's already dead. Why is he going to send a dead voice to the world? Hello. Now I'm going to read this to you because I'm believing God. People have asked me, Sister Sandra, you asked me this. You had a Christmas party with your, you know, co-workers, I guess. And they opened some gifts and you asked me about it. I told you it wasn't a 15-second answer after service, you know. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying this for your benefit. I'm just going to say, if you've got an answer and something you need answered after a Holy Ghost meeting from this day forward, when I say amen, don't hit me right here before I step off the stage. If we want to talk about those things, we'll talk about those things later. And I said, it's not a 15-second answer. There is an answer, but it's not a 15-second one. And uh, her heart's cry. I'm sure partially pulled over into this because she wanted to know, what do I say to these people that say, well, it's okay, Jesus turned the water into wine and all that. Well, Miss Sandra, in the spirit, praying on this stage, I got your answer and I got everybody else's answer. What am I supposed to say to these people that live lasciviously? What am I supposed to say to these people that say social drinking is okay? What am I supposed to say to these people? You want me to let you know? You read these verses. New International Version. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now this says excess. Do a little Greek study. 
New Living Translation. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. My, my, my. Berean Study Bible. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. New King James. Do not get drunk with wine. That's dissipation. See, when, when, when you go to the world on something huh, to get intoxicated, you're supposed to be. The whole idea is when you get drunk, you act different because you're full of something. That's the whole idea. You make different decisions. You do dumb stuff. In fact, stuff you do, you don't even remember doing. Well, when you get frozen in the spirit, you'll come out of the spirit and say, well, well, where was I? And I guarantee you, there ain't no high like the most high. And the Holy Ghost will do in a moment what a, an alcoholic life five lifetimes couldn't produce. I'm telling you by the power of Almighty God, the idea here is you want my perfect will, says the Lord, then you consistently get intoxicated with the Holy Ghost. That's right. And when you get intoxicated and get into that place, out of yourself and in the Spirit, you will take your first big step into my perfect will. Then from there you can see what I have for you to do. Because what I have for you to do is going to require this Spirit you're intoxicated with. So until you get intoxicated with it, no need for me to show you. You're going in your own strength. Well, why would I show you something great? You're not anointed to do it. Hello? It's in that place you can see. It's in that place that the whole world looks small under your feet. Two or three times I've been in the spirit, Miss Sherry, and I saw the whole world. That's what happened to me when the, when the wall disappeared and I saw the world shaking. The world was smaller than me. I was in another place. Yes, sir. That's when you get so big, everything else looks real small. Because the creator of the expanse lives in your house. Oh, are you hearing me? Now, I'll do my best. Listen now. Listen to what it says in this version of the Amplified, not the classic, but it says this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is, listen, that is wickedness, corruption, and stupidity. But be filled with the Holy Spirit and constantly guided by Him. Christian standard, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. One translation, the American Standard, which leads to riot. Contemporary English version. Don't destroy yourself by getting drunk. Good news translation. Do not get drunk with wine, which will only ruin you. I don't think we ought to be sipping saints in the green room before we go out and preach. Hmm. Interesting. Listen to the international standard, Brother J.D. Stop getting drunk with wine, which leads to wild living. The liberal standard version says, do not be drunk with wine in which is wastefulness. Weymouth's New Testament, listen to this. Do not overindulge in wine a thing in which excess is so easy. Yeah, that's what happens to people. But it's okay for me to socially drink. Oh, really? It's okay? Because what you just did is open the door to make all kinds of sin really easy. 
It says in the World English Bible, it uses the word dissipation. Young's Little Translation uses the word dissoluteness. But here's what you need to know. You need to know that the, the word has an A in front of it in the Greek. And the root of the word there is excess, that word. The root of the word is where we get our word sozo, salvation, soteria, salvation. The A is a negative. It literally says, be not drunk with wine, where is, wherein is becoming unsaved. Wherein is no salvation at all. But the opposite of that is to be completely and absolutely, constantly, daily intoxicated, addicted to the anointing, addicted to the assembly, addicted to worship and the church and his plan and the place he has you in life. And he made me to know, son, unless you open up and do what I told you to do 20 years ago, which is make more room for my spirit in your life, in your church, and in your ministry. You will always be in my permissive will. He talked to me in Miami, Florida. Listen to me. Here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this on purpose. This is very purposeful at this moment, so please be seated. I have a stock of prophecies here that I've gone through in the last 36 hours. No possible way that I could get to all of this because he took me back through these prophecies and it literally, I wept and wept and wept because it stunned me how much of this has already come to pass in every one of them, word for word for word. He's been talking to us about this for over 20 years. Glory be to God. But I have a book here that I opened because right here it says my name, Meeting Notes 2002. 20 years ago, that's why I had everybody sit down. <laughs> 20 years ago, the word of the Lord came to me about some things I can't get into now, but I want to read two things. Brother Hagin was talking about praying in the Spirit like I was today. I was in North Miami Beach, Florida, in an all-faith crusade on the 21st of January in 2002. And the Lord took me back to this, and He said, I want you to read what happened there, because He brought something up to me I hadn't thought about in years. And you're going to be hearing a whole lot more of different things that have happened in my life and visitations in the night season because he said, you've got a track record now. You've built the whole ministry on the word. People know you're not a goofball and you're not making stuff up. He said, it's time for you to tell what I've shown you in secret. Yes, sir. And I'm just not concerned about whether people think that I'm doing anything other than obeying God. Amen. If you can keep from telling it for 20 years, Amen. then you keep from telling it forever. I'm certainly, if I was going to build a ministry on it, I'd have been telling it long ago. But here it said this. Brother Hagin said this. Now he was preaching, and the Lord said to him, he said, a long season of prayer in the 1940s. I wrote it down word for word what he said. In the 1940s, God told Brother Hagin, when you are 65 years old, 
Well, he wasn't 65 in the 1940s. He had a whole lot of life to live between then and 65. A whole lot of decisions, a whole lot of faithfulness, a whole lot of preaching, a whole lot of opportunities to quit. But the Lord said to him, when you're 65 years old, my God, the two main outreaches of your ministry will be radio and the printed page. And then Jesus told him the printed page is the best way to spread the gospel. There are other things there, but I wanted to make the point that he had to walk out this, this life to get to the worldwide impact that now that he's in heaven, that's happening all over the world. And we are sitting right here on some choices. And I want to talk to you about the law of transference for a moment because something supernatural is going to happen this morning. I'm going to read you a dream I had that night from that meeting. And actually two days uh, on Wednesday. That was on Monday. On Wednesday, uh, I had a dream on the 23rd of January in 2002. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that and finish with that. And then we're going to act out something that must be done today. But in 1991, I was in San Quentin. I'd believed God. I'd been on a fast and believing God for creative miracles, signs, and wonders. I thought this morning the Lord was going to let me tell some of the stuff that happened all over the world just to encourage you about these creative miracles and now what is coming. We said, no, do this because there's something greater that I want to accomplish. And I remember that as I finished preaching in San Quentin, which is, of course, outside San Francisco, California, and I'm preaching to inmates there in the San Quentin prison. And the power of God came in. Many people felt the altar call. And I'm standing there and I'm leading the sinner's prayer, whatever. And the power of God ripped through there. And here's a man. He fell out on the floor and began to ride like a snake and growl. Right there, I remember casting the devil out of that man. And, of course, the guards were wide-eyed and all of the. It was craziness in that maximum security penitentiary. And so several of them... Just had never seen anything like that. They got born again. They wondered, you know, can you do that for all these guys to make our job easier, you know? I remember sitting on the side and I'd had a night visitation on some things about this miracle assignment to go to the world. And right there, the Lord said to me, at some point, son, you've got to quit asking for it and you've got to believe you receive it and step up and start walking in it. And I'll never forget because as I was there, Suddenly, Mark eleven twenty four and 23 and 24 came alive. What sort of things you desire when you pray, believe you'd receive them, you have them. And literally, it was right there. I'll never forget it. Inside one of the chapels in the unit of San Quentin Prison, 1991. And I said, I believe I receive this mantle of creative miracles, signs, wonders and he pointed out to me he said it's already operating in your life son what do you think caused that demon to manifest and it had begun to happen all over the world I knew right then brother JD it's like somebody walked up on that side chair and threw a coat on me that was the beginning of so much that's happened around the world and I want you to know ladies and gentlemen that spiritual things have to be received I'm going to make a comment I'm going to read this dream, and we're going to act out something to conclude our service today. And I'm going to ask you to join us when we act it out. But the comment I want to make by the Spirit of God is, there's been no one 
used of God throughout, throughout Scripture history. That when oil was poured on them, first the Spirit of God didn't come upon them to do that job. It didn't matter if it was a king. It didn't matter if it was David. We see it with Jesus in Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He hath anointed me too. All ministry starts with the Holy Ghost. Spiritual things get transferred. God told Moses, call Joshua out. Do it in the presence of all the people. Lay your hands upon him, he said, and put some of your honor on him. And when he did, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Joshua from that day forward. Something got transferred. He did the same with the 70 elders. And the Spirit that was on Moses got distributed because he couldn't carry the whole load. He couldn't get the job done by himself. So the Spirit came off of Moses and it came on those 70 elders. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Jesus did the same with his disciples. He transferred to them. Behold, I give unto you power. Over all the power of the enemy. Glory be to God. No thing shall by any means ever be able to harm you. He said, I'm going to send you by two and two into the villages and the towns and the cities whether I'm going to come. For behold, I saw Satan falling as lightning from heaven. He told the disciples, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. There's a transference. We see it with Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elijah, Jesus and his disciples and throughout the word of God by the law of contact and transmission, which is why the Bible says you lay hands on no man suddenly lest you be a partaker of their sins. You don't put your anointing on someone that's being filled with wine. It'll lead them to their ruin. It'll blow their life up. Why? Something real and supernatural is transferred. Today, there's something that this person doesn't know the Lord spoke to me. You'll understand in a moment, but I need to read this to you. That night in that meeting with Brother Hagen. 20 years ago, I was visited in the wee hours of the morning. And in a dream, in a night season, I was sitting across the table from Brother Oral Roberts. And I began to understand what God said to him in a greater measure because we were talking about ORU, Oral Roberts University, and Brother Oral's ministry in this night vision. And I quoted to him, the prophecy God gave him and the phrase that I've written down here that I remember quoting was, and their work will exceed yours. God told Brother Oral, if you'll do what I told you to do, this anointing will transfer. You're the John the Baptist. The Lord told Brother Oral, you are the John the Baptist of the healing ministry. I had a friend as I was about to graduate from Old Roberts University and he called me up 
And it was in April of the year, and I was a senior, and I had not put out resumes, and I'll never forget it. He was laying in his bunk, and Lori and I were married at that time, and he was laying there, and the top bunk disappeared, and he had an open vision because we were friends, and we prayed a lot together in the prayer tower and so forth, and suddenly, in this vision, the bunk disappeared, and he saw, and he, and he called me up, and he said, I don't quite know how to tell you this. I said, what? He said, I was praying in the Spirit, and my bunk disappeared, and I had a vision. And he said, and it concerned you. I said, Really? He said, yes. He said, I saw Brother Oral, and I saw a vast field, a field so wide, so far you couldn't see past it. And he was on a huge tractor, and he had a big disc, and he was plowing up the ground. He's riding this big tractor, and behind him were many, many people. Some of their faces I could see. Some were blurred. He said, but right behind him, I saw you on a tractor. And he said, I saw others, and there were many tractors as far as the field was wide. And he was plowing that field, but many others, each on their own tractor. He's the John the Baptist of the healing ministry. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Each on their own tractor, glory be to God, were coming along and, and reaping that harvest and operating in, in the fullness of what, what God said when he said, their work, their work will exceed yours. And in this I am well pleased. Well, that night I had the dream and I, I referred to him about that prophecy that started at Oral Roberts University. Their work will exceed yours. And in the dream, I talked with Brother Oral about, about a few years before that, some years before that, where he and I were together and he had laid hands on me and that anointing had been transferred in the dream. And when he laid hands on me and I shared with him up to date about all the creative miracles that had happened in our ministry. And I quoted that part of the prophecy that said, their work will exceed yours, and in this I'm well pleased. When I said that, he looked at me a little strange, and I said to him, Brother Oral, I know you're thinking about where our ministry is right now and the size of it. I said, but I'm not talking about the size of ministry of buildings. I'm talking about the works of healing, anointing, and creative miracles. Because you see, I was with him on several occasions. And he had so much persecution that he had a healing ministry. But if you talk to him about creative miracles, he'd just, I mean literally, actively react. I had him do that to me twice. Where I said, Brother Oral, I believe God's wanted to do some creative miracles. And he'd just jerk his hand back. Now, I've never told these stories. He said, I'm not God. Only God heals. And to, to my knowledge, he had one or two creative miracles. The little boy got a hip joint. Almost all the great miracles he had all around the whole world laid hands personally on two million people. Almost all of them were works of healing. Because he got so much persecution about being the healer. And only God heals. And they tried to just crucify him until finally he adopted a position. He pulled back from creative miracles. It's too quiet in here. You've never heard such things, have you? He, pulled, he had one or two creative miracles. Well, in this night vision, this is 20 years ago. He was already in heaven. And I'm sitting across the table. I'm talking about our ministry. 
what we're to do to follow in that anointing, how he laid hands on me and transferred it to me. And I said to him across the table 20 years ago in a night vision, I said, Brother Oral, I'm not talking about size of ministry, amount of buildings. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the works of the ministry. Their work will exceed yours. I'm talking about the anointing, creative miracles, and works of healings. You paved the way, but God is going to begin in these last days to do so many great miracles of apostolic proportion, it's going to boggle the mind of humanity. Across that table, I said to him, I'm not talking about that. People measure by that. I'm talking about those works. I said, Lord, I said, Brother, oh, yours was primarily a ministry of healing. And, I, and I, I literally in that night vision recounted to him at that time from when he laid hands on me in 1989 till 2002, it would have been 13 years and I'd already been around the world and I had already seen God completely make false teeth permanent in a woman's mouth. I'd already seen God destroy titanium screws and rods and people get their backbone again and there's no reason or relative nature. How did this disappear? This is medical hardware that's inside a person. I've seen God do it again and again and again. I've seen God blow, absolutely blow through the field in Vietnam and 400 leaders just go like you mowed them down and all of them get up that didn't even believe in miracles. There were 32 CMA preachers they all believed miracles passed away. None of them believed tongues was for today. And the wind of God, the tree started swirling like this. Next thing I knew, I'm the only person standing. The interpreter fell out. Bill Patton fell out. 400 leaders fell out. The, the Catholic priest from the monastery fell out. They were stuck to the ground under the trees inside the monastery. I just had to wait till they got up. When they got up, all 32 of those CMA guys were speaking in tongues. A tumor completely disappeared. Bill Patton got healed on the spot. Our translator, who had been translating for 14 years, is sitting there. When she finally could come to herself, she's just trembling like this. And she's going, oh, 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 never before, never before, never before. I'm not preaching theory. I'm not talking pipe dreams. And I'm not even talking about things I haven't already handled on six continents. But I am telling you where we are right now, we've been in two inches deep of water. The Lord said to me in 2022, the maimed are going to start beginning to be made whole. I'm headed headlong into no more curse. I'm letting you know right now I'm headed headlong into no more curse. And in that I said, Brother Oral, and I recounted to him in that night vision all the creative miracles we had seen up to date. And I said, I'm not talking about buildings I'm not talking about size of ministry. I'm talking about creative miracles, the works of the resurrection power of Jesus. I'm assigned because of the transference of anointing from you that my work will exceed yours, but it'll be your work. And in this, God says, I will be well pleased. Listen to me. I said, our ministry is to go to a new, I said to him in that vision, our ministry is to go to a new level and explode into more creative miracles than we've ever seen so far. I said, in that prophecy, God was talking about the works of the anointing. Our calling is to spend the rest of our ministry in the anointing and flow of creative miracles. I said, Brother Oil, I know it will require some buildings. I know the ministry will grow, but that's not my main focus. 
Not what I'm assigned to do. That's not my perfect will in place. You know what he did, Miss Sarah? Instead of looking bewildered, after I said that to him in that night vision, he looked at me, he lit up, and he smiled. And I've never told this part. He reached across the table and laid hands on me a second time. As I look back right now, the last 20 years of fighting hell and high water, everything the enemy could throw at you to keep you small and obscure, I know now it was to keep us out of that place. Not out of those buildings, not off television, out of that place in the spirit. More than anything, Lord, I want your perfect will for my life. Not your permissive will. The buildings will come. In fact, they'll come this year. Worldwide television already come and going to explode 10 times. Maybe 50 times. All that is is a pickup truck. Just a vehicle for God to prove he's alive in this earth. Everyone in this whole planet is sick in some way. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what you have?